Amen. Well, let me uh, start us off with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you tonight in uh, strength, the Lord's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That's exactly what we need, Lord. We don't know what, what we are going to face tomorrow. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen in this world. We don't know what's going to happen here in our country. We don't know what, what, will, what will happen in our life. So, Lord, we need strength for the day. Strength mostly, Lord, just to, to be able to be faithful and uh, to take the word of God and let it go through our mouth. And, and as it comes into our mind, goes through our mind and comes into our life and goes out through others, Lord, that uh, they might see Christ and uh, Christ crucified for them. Uh, so, Lord, we pray, give us strength for, for the day. And, Lord, if the day is bad, then we, we obviously need bright hope for tomorrow uh, to keep us going, keep us walking in the word, keep us walking with you. And Father, we ask that you would give that to us even tonight, Lord, as we spend this time in your word. Just put the capstone on the day today and help us, help us have the thing that we need to propel us in your spirit to do your will this week. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. So, uh, you know, uh, the Bible says things in church ought to be done decently and in order. I suppose that would presuppose that you have a plan. So... Um, let me just, you know, I figure at least if I tell you my plan tonight, uh, maybe, maybe that'll make us decent and orderly. Uh, so, uh, Psalm 119, obviously we're about to, to get into uh, verse uh, 25, I think, and go through this next section of Psalm 119. So, uh, in a few moments when we get to that, I'm going to ask Two people, so I want. I need two people to volunteer. One peop, one person, one people, uh, to volunteer to summarize what we did last week by just walking us through and listing for us every verb in that section, verses twenty-five to thirty-two. We went through it, right? We went through, kind of went through it, picked out all you know the verb in each verse. Uh, or verbs, as, uh, some verses have more than one, and then also some other person to, to go through and summarize last week by showing us all the synonyms for the Word of God in that passage. So each verse has some word it uses for the Word, and what, what, is, what is it, to, and just kind of summarize that for us. So think about, think about you doing that here in uh, just a second, and then I'll ask for a volunteer. Um, but there is another topic that I've just felt uh, led to, you know, I feel like I ought to say something on. I don't know why. Turn to First Timothy chapter 2. So you got Psalm 119, but, but be heading to First Timothy chapter 2. So let me suggest to you a rubric, a, a biblical, I think, I will say, biblical rubric for defining uh, three different things. Uh, sometimes people say, follow the money, and that's all you need to know. Just follow the money. And I will say, that will define for you the world. That'll tell you what the world's up to. That tells you what the world's about. That tells you what they're doing. Uh, follow the money, and it, it kind of tells you all you need to know about them. So uh, we're, we're currently doing that with regard to Putin and Russian oligarchs and, you know, all of that. So what's an oligarch? Well, you know, in Russia, they don't really have free elections. And Putin has um, 
been around long enough and uh, done enough to get him self-established in a dictatorial fashion that he can appoint government ministers. Well, the people he appoints to be in the government are the people, uh, friends of his and, and others who are the richest people in the country. So, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll take, you know, a rich person and you'll appoint them to something and then they get the contract, for example, to build the bridge between Crimea and Russia. Crimea used to be, it used to belong to Ukraine, but remember in 2014, Putin went in and, and, um, They annexed it. They don't even just occupy it. They annexed Crimea. And in their mind now, that is simply Russia. And so they built a bridge and, uh, you know, you can make a lot of money off of those type of projects. So so that's one rubric. Follow the money. That will tell you where the world is at. Number two, I would say keep your eye on Israel. Keep your eye on Israel, and that'll tell you where, where history is at. That, that will tell you what, where we're at in history. That'll explain um, uh, world history in the past. That, that just uh, keep your eye on Israel. That kind of explains everything. So that'll give you history. The third rubric, the third thing I would say is keep your eye. So for the present, keep your eye on the church. And that will give you insight into current events. Now, obviously, some current events are related to Israel, but keep your eye on the church, and that will give you some insight into current events. Say, Alan, what do you mean? Well, uh, so I had I had a had a person call me today, and they're writing a news article of some type, and wanted to interview me on what our church is doing with regard to Russia, uh, Ukraine or praying for Ukraine or anything like that. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me give you the backstory. So um, so backstory might be that in um, 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. I mean, that's a big deal. Until then, it, was, it represented everything about the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the West, uh, because they had built a wall in Berlin and then extended, uh, you know, through, so there was a separate East Germany and West Germany, and never the twain shall meet, and, uh, you know, they would uh, shoot people who, from East Germany who tried to get to the West, and, uh, you know, it was a bad scene. And so finally, a kind of a popular uprising of people, um, led to the um, led led to the Eastern G- German government just kind of imploding, and all of a sudden, well, the border crossings o- open. <laughs> I mean, the wall didn't fall, but it but it fell, but it didn't fall. I mean, people got up on it with pickaxes and started tearing it apart, and I've got I've got a chunk of the Berlin Wall. Uh, that a German student, international student, gave me at the time. And uh, so, okay, so, but that was a big deal. Uh, and that was 1989. And about that same year, Ceausescu, who was the dictator in Romania, he was overthrown in a popular uprising uh, in Timisoara and other uh, cities in western uh, Romania. And, uh, you know, they just rose up against him. 
And, um, you know, his guards ended up putting him to death. So, so now he's gone. Well, he, when he was gone, that opened up the country. And so I made three trips to Romania uh, in 1990 and 1991 as we took discipleship to Baptist churches that were in Romania. So, so that happened, you know, 1990, 1991. Um, and little did anyone know that about 1991 then, the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire fell. And, and so, so Gorbachev oversaw the dissolution of the Soviet, former Soviet republics. Boris Yeltsin became the president of Russia, and each of the other Soviet republics became independent, uh, including Ukraine and uh, some others who have since become NATO members, uh, uh, the, the, what they call the Baltic states, uh, those nations right around the, the Baltic Sea. And so that, was, that happened, uh, you know, in 1991. Um, that opened up all of those countries considerably to the, to the gospel. Now, we have complete religious freedom uh, here in America, uh, certainly comparatively, regardless what you say about anything, anything else politically. Uh, comparatively speaking, we've got religious freedom. The prime reason for that is we do not have a state church and so we've got freedom of worship, and you know I can get up and say whatever I want to say. Now, the downside to that is that we also have cult groups. We have the Jehovah's Witnesses. We have the Mormons. We have other, others like that. And um, so they have freedom, too, but even, even though they are built on a lie and invented by men in the 1830s because they could. And so we got Scientology. That's another one, example of that. Or... Uh, Nation of Islam, uh, you know, and uh, uh, Hebrew Israelites and all that. So, okay, so yeah, we have those, but that's really a small percentage. Uh, And it is worth the price of freedom to even be able to have freedom who, you know, for people who are um, propagating um, things that are lies. What had happened was in, in, in Russia and some of those other countries... Vladimir Putin, once he got kind of in power, after, so he, he became president after Yeltsin. And I think he saw the utility of the Russian Orthodox Church as part of the civil government and administration. That hadn't, that hadn't existed under the Soviet Union because... Putin, as well as all the rest of them, were atheists. But, you know, now, now, now he understands that while Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people, he wants to use that opiate on his people as much as the, the Tsar ever did. So, so in Russia, they started making these laws, and they would use um, Jehovah's Witnesses or others as an excuse to say we're not going to have these cult groups, and if you are going to have a church, you have to be registered, and you have to be like this, and you have to be like that. And a lot of times, whatever bar they were looking at, you had to be more of a liturgical-type church, and maybe evangelicalism was not now as free as it had been 
the same thing occurred in Belarus. So in, i just show you the progression. On 9-11, I was in Belarus. I mean, on 9-11. On 9-11, I was in Rutomka, which is uh, close to Minsk, capital of Belarus, on 9-11. Now, that was a surreal experience. And, and, I, and I was there because there was a missionary there, and, uh, you know, it still took a lot of negotiation with the local corrupt uh, mayors uh, of the cities and people like that to get permission to do certain things. I mean, when, when I'd gone to Romania, well, they allowed us to be in a soccer stadium and preach. Um, uh, Belarus, it, you know, it took some finagling um, uh, at that time, but you could, you could still, you know, there was a church that was planted and it was growing and, and uh, various ministry was going on and uh, there was an idea the missionary had of going uh, just up and down the Volga uh, Valley and um, uh, starting churches and things like that. So that was, that was uh, 2001, that was, that was on 9-11. And since that time, both Russia and Belarus have restricted religious liberty, meaning unless you are a member of the Russian Orthodox Church, which is part of the Russian government, well, then you're probably not so free um, for preaching and witnessing and getting out the gospel and that type of thing. Well, what had happened was, and this is just in the, um, okay, so, so Russia annexed, so Russia invaded Crimea and annexed it, so it invaded 2014, I think they probably annexed it by 2016, well, by 2018, um, so if you consider the, the uh, Orthodox Church, so you have the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin church versus the Greek church. You have old Rome, Rome versus new Rome, Constantinople. And so in the Greek, Greek, in the Orthodox church, you have, I don't know, 14 to 17 different independent patriarchs. Now the leader among equals is the one in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, in Turkey. And also, he's, he is a functionary of the Turkish government. But he's kind of the leader of all the others. And it used to be before the Russian Revolution, before the Bolsheviks came in, before, uh, before communism, Ukraine had its own Ukraine Orthodox Church with its own patriarch who ran their church within their country or would even have congregations in other countries that were Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, the communists came in, of course, and you know, changed all that because they're all atheists and everybody's supposed to be atheists. But now... You know, once now now Putin has a patriarch that's like his personal pastor, and you can you know whenever he takes off his shirt, and you see pictures of him, you know he takes off his he's got to show 
whatever limited pectorals he's got. I'm not really impressed, but then, you know, that's not my thing. But whenever he takes off his shirt, he's wearing a cross. That's an orthodox cross. So it's not crucifix, but it's an orthodox cross. So once I think he found out the utility of having an opiate for the people, well, then, up until about four years ago, the Russian Orthodox Church ruled, and there was no Ukraine Orthodox Church which had been reestablished since the fall of communism. But in 2018, the you know guy who heads up all of them, the patriarch in Istanbul, made the Ukraine Ukrainian Church what they call auto, autocephalous. Now that sounds like something out of Men in Black, you know, autocephalous. Well, what is that? A cephalopod from outer space? But, but it you know, makes them an independent, it, it makes them their own Orthodox Church. And so they did that. And at the time, Putin was like, no way, Jose, imposible. They're not, no, he's not going to stand for that. Um, so, so uh, okay, follow the money. That uh, tells you what the lost world is doing. Keep your eye on Israel. That tells you all you need to know about history. But look at the church. That tells you a lot about current events because this war is probably as much a religious war. And more wars have been fought over the religion, over religion than anything else in the world, uh, particularly Christian religion. And this war is a religious war probably as much as anything else. So knowing all of that, what is our, what is our standing, what is our status? Because Ukraine uh, is uh, one of the, uh, Ukraine actually has religious freedom. Their president is Jewish, right? That's pretty well known. In the past, they have had a vice president who was an evangelical, so a born-again Christian. So they have religious freedom in Ukraine, and a lot of evangelical pastors that could not survive uh, or were driven out of Russia and Belarus went into Ukraine. So, so, so what should we be praying for uh, Ukraine? I'll, let me suggest to you this. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody get up and uh, use their outside playground voice and read the first four verses. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. Okay, so now what, what book does this come out of? What epistle of Paul? 1 Timothy. So now this is, this is the second to last epistle that Paul writes that we have in our Bible. He writes 1 Timothy. He writes Titus, he writes 2 Timothy, and all of that was written after the book of Acts closes. And by the time Paul starts writing these books, well, Christianity is now under the same persecution as a precursor to the very difficult uh, damaging persecutions that came later through the, through the Roman Empire and the Roman emperors. But that was already starting now. And it was starting now, and, you know, I think there's a sense in which a life of Paul... Um, so, so here's what I would say. If you take the 
after the church is raptured, you take the tribulation. I think uh, for the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation, I think it's 144,000 Apostle Pauls. I think basically you see the life of Paul run backwards. And I think it kind of, you know, it, it'll start off with First and Second Timothy, and it will end with Acts chapter 2 type expression of things going on. So at any rate, uh, here we are. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is pastor of a church in Ephesus, during a similar, uh, similar uh, time of turmoil and danger for believers. And he, he tells them and says, I want you to pray for everybody. And just to be clear, that includes the kings. Uh, and let me widen that to anyone who is in authority, not just the king because he's king. I mean, all the kings want us to pray uh, that they live forever and all of that. But, uh, you know, uh, no, let's say even the local person. And here, here's what he says that you ought to pray, verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And I think that's what we ought to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. So after all, that's what everybody wants. That's what we want, you know. And, and Paul's point here is that if we could pray and get them back to a life of quiet and of peace, then, verse 3, verse 4, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You need quietness and peace in society you need social stability in order to get the truth out most effectively uh, and freely where people can hear it so it's all based on verse four and and getting the gospel out and certainly we can pray that they should be getting the gospel out now uh, but frankly, the bottom line that they're going to want, that we should want for them, is that God does something to bring peace back uh, to that location. And I don't know what's going to happen from here. But, you know, I, la- uh, uh, um, you know, last week I thought about saying something because what was happening the week before and I didn't and and now this week, more stuff has been happening, and um, it, it almost looks uh, as if it might be going the direction that other world wars have gone, that have started with something that did not seem important. And finally, everybody just got their blood up, and it, it was, you know, uh, it was uh, hell-bent for leather, as they say. That's another thing that Joe can Google, along with spit or wind your watch. And so, um, you know, God has his way of just putting hooks in the leaders and dragging them exactly where he wants them. And I understand what we've committed to not doing, but I also think there are things that Putin could do that would make us throw away that commitment. And, I, you know, at this point, who's to say that he's absolutely not crazy enough exactly to do that? So, um, you know, it may be like that. And so just just so we're prepared, uh, you know, I thought I'd say a word or two about that. And, uh, you know, we'll have, uh, 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 should it come to that, uh, we'll say more about um, Russia 
and things like that. But to get to where we uh, want to go tonight in Psalm 119, uh, would somebody like to volunteer just to walk us through those eight verses and to go through and give us all the, all the verbs that they can see in those eight verses? Okay, so wait, are we, where, where are we starting at? 25, yeah, start with 25 and go through 32. Yeah, good. So there's the verbs in the passage. You know, one of these, one of these Sunday nights, I'm just, I'm just going to surprise it with, before we start looking into Psalm 119, maybe just, maybe just a few rules on English grammar. After all, you know, we are reading an English Bible, and if you want to do English Bible exegesis, uh, it might be good to know what a sentence is. And what the parts of a sentence are, and what kind of what they're there for, and what they do. You can learn an awful lot even just from punctuation, I'm saying. So we got verbs. Now, who would like to get up and just as a summary of what we, you know, where we kind of ended last week, um, go through and show us all the words for the word in these eight verses. Verse 25 is easy. That's it. Word, statutes, precepts, word again, law, judgments, testimonies, commandments. So now uh, go with me to, uh, to verse 25 and this next section. I think we ended last time by uh, talking about the fact that this, this is a fourth segment of Psalm 119. It follows alphabetically the Hebrew alphabet, the fourth section if you have a King James Bible, most of them at the head of that section will tell you the Hebrew letter that each of the next eight verses starts with in Hebrew. And it's, a, it's the Hebrew letter D, which is Daleth. It is also used for the number four. Uh, so David kind of, in this section, sings of depression but he does so in the spirit of devotion and determination and dependence on God. Daleth, so, so, so the Hebrew letters are pictograms, and each letter is based on an object, and Daleth is a door. So that kind of signifies entering. And in this case, what we're going to see is kind of entering into battle, Dealing with battle, because this section is going to show us the psalmist's response to resistance against the word and what we've got to do. So I'm going to take this passage as being restorative and and being critical because uh, it is the longing for comfort from the word. And uh, it fortifies us in our resolutions about the word and to the word. So it reveals the condition of heart that we might have and that we need to experience in order to profit from the word of God. So uh, I think I mentioned last time this section divides evenly into two parts because first David kind of deals with his handicap verses 25 to 28, 25, 26, 27, 28, then with his conquest verses 29, 30, 31, 32. Now get uh, Lamentations chapter three, keep your finger here, Keep your nose here, or whatever, in Psalm 119, but uh, Lamentations chapter 3 in your left hand, Ephesians 6 in your right hand. 
Let me back up one verse to get where we ended last time. Verse 24 ends the previous section, and we find that the psalmist is delighting in the word. Verse 24, thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Now that ends kind of on a high note. This next section, however... Draws us down to the dust. I mean, right after that, our face is in the dust. Because that's the nature of our human condition. I mean, sometimes things go good. Usually they don't go good for that long. And that's just the nature of living in the flesh and living in this world and dealing with things that we deal with. So, somebody... Stand up and in your uh, playground voice, read verse 25. And what you find is you got to do two things. Okay, out of, this, out of that verse, here's what you find. Number one, you have to continually renew right delight. What I'll call right delight. Say, okay, Alan, how do I renew right delight? Because sometimes some things in my life are not delightful. So I'm not full of delight. I am kind of delighted. I mean, D. It's dark right now because I'm delighted. And so how do I renew a right delight? Well, uh, uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Somebody stand up and read verses 22 and 23. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Wow, isn't that a good thing? They are new every morning. So to renew right delight, all you have to do is look at the Lord's mercies, which are new every morning. And I don't know if I even have to say how much of our psychological, emotional problems are caused by the fact that we get up every day and we start thinking about all the crap, don't Google that, all the stuff that happened yesterday. And if it wasn't yesterday, it was day before. And if it wasn't day before, it was last month. If it wasn't last month, it was last year. If it wasn't last year, then it was when we were a child. I mean, we are, we are such masters at um, damning our delight by starting off each day to remind ourselves of what delighted us, un, un, unlighted us, took away our light uh, in the past, and yet God's mercies are new every morning. Okay, so be turning to Ephesians chapter 6. So number one, you've got to continually renew right delight. Thy testimonies also are my delight. And number two, you have to expect the new man to need new clothes. I'm just saying. (coughs) You remember when Jesus went to Bethany, and um, Mary and Martha's brother had died, and Jesus goes to the tomb, and he calls Lazarus, come forth, 
And he comes out, but he is still bound hand and foot with the grave clothes. Okay, that's you when you got saved. Don't start off every day rewinding yourself back in the, in the mummy shroud that you, got, that you had after you got saved. Come out of that cocoon. Make sure you renew right delight and partly do that by recognizing the new man's got to have new clothes. We need to be clothed with Christ. Notice it says here in verse 25, according to his word. Well, how, how does it accordingly happen? <laughs> I mean, if, okay, how do I do it accordingly to his word? Well, Ephesians 6 is a good passage. Don't lay aside your armor. Put on your armor. I mean, that's something you could think about doing every day. I mean, for me personally, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. I recite that every, every morning. That's, you know, one of the first things I do is I'm, okay, I'm, uh, that is God's mercy to me. That's new and fresh every morning to me. But Ephesians 6 is a great passage also because it shows you what you've got to put on. Now, let me, let me have you uh, highlight maybe uh, one of the most important parts of what to put on. Somebody uh, stand up and read verse 18 of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 18. And I know we like to think, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, once I got saved, uh, you know, I'd be like the sultan in Arabia that can just lay on his couch and have pretty people feed grapes into his mouth. And I think you forget, God, it's not the millennium yet. It ain't the millennium yet. So, so you need to pray always with what Paul calls all prayer. And you also need to pray with supplication in the Spirit. Now, how do you pray in the Spirit? There's another place where Paul talk, where it talks about praying in the Spirit. How do you pray in the Spirit? Well, you pray in the Spirit when you pray in your spirit. And what's being distinguished here is uh, the difference between us and the Orthodox, us and the Catholics, us and the liturgical churches, us and the Muslims. I mean, both Roman Catholics and Muslims both, both have worry beads, right? Uh, Catholic, if you're Catholic, you have a rosary and you flip through that rosary saying Hail Marys. Now, that's not prayer in the Spirit. Or if you're Muslim, you have 99 names of God you can go through on these beads, and that's not prayer in the Spirit. Or if you are Tibetan Buddhist, you have a wheel with uh, strings on the end, and on the end of each string is some little weight, a stone or something, and you spin this wheel, and that's praying if you're a Tibetan Buddhist. Well, that's not praying in the Spirit. So it's clear enough, actually praying in the Holy Spirit is you praying from your spirit. And not even necessarily using words. It's not a, uh, it, is, it is not a religious ritual type thing. It's not a rote type thing. So you've got to be praying with all prayer. You've got to be praying with supplication in the Spirit. You even have to be watching thereunto... 
wow, I need to watch in prayer. I mean, think about the life of Christ. Think about how many times it tells us that he arose a great while before the day and he went out into a mountain to pray. And there are not a lot of times that it says he prayed uh, entirely through the night. But before he chose the 12, he prayed all night long. He prayed through the night and then he chose the 12 that he chose to be his disciples, including Judas, after he had prayed all night. And, and throughout you know, the um, Gospels, uh, Jesus is telling us, uh, watch and pray, watch unto prayer, so things you see as you are watching should prompt you to pray in the Spirit. So it's so it's so there's a little bit of we are entering into a battle here. So it's it's not just praying, it's praying always. It's not just praying always, it's praying always with all prayer. It's not just all prayer, it's supplication. It's not just supplication, it's supplication in the spirit. And it is watching thereunto. It is using that prayer in the spirit and that supplication to help you watch about what is happening around you. And you've got to do this, verse 18, with all perseverance. And I know that you don't like to be made to do anything. But part of discipleship is discipline. And you need to make, perseverance means you need to make yourself do it, even when you don't feel like doing it. I mean, I'm just saying that's your only way out. Because what's your other option? You know, living in the flesh. Your other option is, you know, just going wild and wiling out and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, you know, let anybody tell me what, well, no, this is kind of what you ought to do. You need to do it with all perseverance. So you got to persevere even through uh, something that is taking your attention off of it. So if I were Vladimir Putin and I wanted to uh, assassinate somebody. You know, I'd do something like uh, setting off a bomb close, and then every, as everybody else ran to put out the fire, you know, I'd be doing something where nobody else was looking. They are not watching unto. And, and that, you know, they're not persevering. I mean, if you are a security detail, and, there, and we've used these same principles when we take um, international missions trips, uh, probably ought to adopt some of them even even locally and uh, uh, within the United States. But principles like, you know, if we're all out together and we're, uh, you know, uh, on a train or in the station or whatever and something crazy happens, get your put your hands in your pockets. Because that, that crazy person that caused that crazy thing is in partnership with some pickpockets that right now are going around <laughs> with everybody who's got their attention focused. No, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta watch unto with prayer and you gotta persevere in that. And if you're part of a security detail for somebody, you're not sidetracked by what's happening anyplace else. You're watching out for the person that you're responsible for. And Paul says, we do this in supplication for all saints. Because we're in this together. And we've got to do this with one another. And that 
That is how you renew right delight, so that thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So we see David applying God's word to his life right now in four fundamental ways in these first four verses. Through conviction, through confession, through consecration, and through contrition. So first is the condition of conviction, verse 25, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. So that that word cleaveth, I mean, you can do a simple word study with um, Strong's Concordance and look up the Hebrew word in the back. It means to cling and to cleave and to keep close and abide fast and cleave fast together and follow close and follow hard after and be joined together and adhere. Figuratively, it means you catch something after pursuing it. You overtake something by pursuing hard and you stick to that. And it's the same phrase used in Psalm 22 verse 29 for death. Same phrase used in Psalm 44.25 for deep disgrace. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Doctrinally, it is the prayer of Israel in their captivity and their exile. Historic and historically. Prophetically, it is the prayer of tribulation saints who are now isolated by the Antichrist. And they're going to say, my soul... My soul is cleaving to the dust. I mean, your, your, I, your testimony is a good thing. I made your testimonies my delight. It's a good thing I reestablished your right delight, verse 24. It's a good thing I did that because right now, verse 25, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I don't know if you ever feel like this, but sometimes I just feel like an insect glued to the ground. You know, uh, um, I think the, the Holy Spirit's first function in our soul is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So that conviction, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. Uh, society advises us when we feel that way to see a psychiatrist and to go to psychotherapy and because what they say is the problem is psychosis, it's not sin. Because sin cannot exist if, if there is no God. And obviously there is no God. We all evolved. We all evolved to get here. We are evolutionaries. And we evolved, so there's no God. We're, we're scientific today. There's no God, so it can't be sin. It has to be psychological. It has to be psychosis based on psychology. But the problem is no psychiatrist can adequately deal with guilt apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no solution apart from that. And so no one can deal with their past apart from being born again. And no one can deal with their falls 
and uh, collapses in the present apart from being in Christ. And so if you look at verse 25, quicken, that word quicken is used because it means to spring to life and start acting. And I know it seems odd to our ears today because we don't normally use the word quick and quicken in that. What well, we do sometimes, uh, if I, um, if, if I, if, if I trim my uh, toenail or my fingernail too much, I might get into the quick. Well, so that's the living part of the nail, and it hurts because it's living. But, but the reason the King James translators use this extra expressive word, quicken, is because it doesn't mean just to come back from the dead like Lazarus did. It means to come to life and start acting, to be activated. Synonyms for this word are to stimulate, to excite, to arouse, to rouse, to stir up, to activate, to galvanize, to whet, to inspire, to kindle, to invigorate, to revive, to revitalize. So whenever you don't understand the English, look it up. Go ogle it. And, uh, you know, it, it won't be definition number one. If you're looking up quick, it'll be down the line and they'll say that, well, you know, there's an archaic way of using this. Uh, but that'll, that'll explain, you know, because the thing is, there's a reason why that word is used and not some other one. Find out what it is. So he says in verse 25, quicken me, put new life into me, new for old ways, new for old ways of thinking, new for old ways of feeling, so I can have new for old ways of acting. This is the first of nine prayers in Psalm 119 for quickening. And in these prayers, we see how to get God's gleam in the midst of our gloom. How to be relighted when we've been unlighted and get rightly delighted. Because of conviction, now next, verse 26, because of conviction, we make the communication of confession. Somebody stand up and read verse 26. So confession, this is confession, which is affirmation. And that's better than therapy. Especially after conviction. You need to start with conviction. Now you can see how opposite this is to anything you are told in our secular society. Because no counselor, no secular counselor of any kind, no matter what method they use, no matter who they follow, no matter what technique, none of them are going to say anything convicting. I mean, and mostly in our society today... Um, well, I mean, we are just so far away from, I mean, you got to come to, I mean, practically you got to come to church to get convicted. I'm just saying you got to, you got to hear good preaching to get convicted because out, outside of our church service, it's almost considered bullying and verbal abuse because yeah, we just aren't, we're not, you know, we are unwiring ourselves from God in so many ways that uh, after you know, but after you need to start with conviction, then you will be able to make a confession 
that is, that is a valuable affirmation because no solution can be found for psychosis if it leaves out confession to God. Now, I'm speaking of the normal, common kind of psychosis that all Americans have. You know, the bipolar-type disorder, because all of us are bipolar. Because that is the common malady of the day. Uh, Obviously, there are individuals that have uh, break with reality and um, certain issues. Uh, That is a very very small percentage. I'm not necessarily talking about that. But if you have the normal type of psychosis that all of your friends also live with, of anxiety and sleeplessness and this and that and and irritableness and um, kicking the cat and, um, you know, pulling the dog's ears or whatever... Well, you know, okay, there's, there's no solution for that aside from confession to God. So verse 26, I declared my ways is a prayer of the cleaving, melting, breaking soul. He needs and we need three things. I need information, I need direction, and I need orders. I need all three of those things. I need information so I know what's going on. I need direction so I know where to go. And I need orders so I know how to respond and get to where I'm supposed to go. And too often, I think, we ask, how can I get out of this? Instead of what can I get out of this? Hello, somebody. And it's only the word of God that that prevents you from wasting your suffering. I mean, I think so. I think, I think the rest of our society is, uh, is, is absolutely decided that you should waste all your suffering. It should be good for nothing. It's not going to profit you for anything. And only the Word of God keeps it from being wasted. And more than that, because of God's providence, He'll make it valuable for eternity. So... Number one, he who confesses, verse 25. Number two, will be heard. First half of verse 26, I've declared my ways. And then, I've heard my ways and thou heardest, I've declared my ways and thou heardest me. And then, number three, they can teach. Verse 20, last half, teach me thy statutes. So a correct contrition of heart is needed more than cleverness of head. So we've got to adjust our ways to God's word in this world. Now, now watch. Now watch. So we've got, we've, we've got verse 25, conviction. We've got verse 26, confession. And all of that is going to lead us to two other things. Somebody... So we only got a, um, uh, about five minutes left. Somebody stand up and read verse 27. Okay, so this, this is why the psalmist recognizes the importance of right thinking. There are ten times in Psalm one night, uh, uh, ten times that he speaks of understanding here in Psalm 119. And as he speaks of understanding that we need to have right thinking, he uses two words to do that. 
One word in the English, understanding. But if you have a Young's Concordance, it'll break it out for you and tell you that that English word understanding is coming from two separate Hebrew words. The first one, Bain, means to separate mentally, to discern, to distinguish, and therefore to understand. And that word occurs nine times. Verse 27, verse 100, verse 34, verse 73, verse 104, verse 125, verse 130, 144, 169. You can all look that up with a, a tool, um, uh, you know, with, strong, with Young's Concordance or, um, you know, one of the websites online. And I, um, you know, maybe also one of these times I'll do a surprise thing and hook up my laptop to our screen and just show you some of uh, how you can do that. Uh, remind me if I forget. Uh, then the other word, sekal, which means to be circumspect and prudent and therefore to understand, um, to have wisdom. It occurs in verse 99 where David says he has more understanding than his teachers. So the first is a word of discernment. The second is a word of discretion. So the first results from study, and the second you get because you have maturity. And you need both levels of understanding. Because after confession, in order to really come correct, God requires consecration. Which is what we see here in verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. And that's not blind obedience. Because God wants us to see how his precepts work. How Bible principles work if you actually apply them. And notice here in verse 27. He does not say... Show me. He does not even say, teach me. He says, make me understand. And make me understand by making me more like your son. And then you can testify. But you know what? Nobody should teach beyond their understanding. We know a lot of people. Don't you know? I bet you know a lot of people who talk beyond their intelligence beyond their understanding and their wisdom of what's going on. So first, apply God's word to your life in four fundamental ways of conviction, uh, confession, consecration. And then in the final analysis is where we'll start at next time, Lord willing, contrition. And that'll be verse 28. But my time is up. I thank you for yours. Go ahead and stand. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again tonight for this special time in your word. Lord, you make, this, uh, you make it so special each, each, each week, each time we get together. I mean, it's not just a study even of this psalm. It's really a study of our life. It defines for us what we're going through. It tells us where we should be going. Yet it gives us handles to hold on to. God, help us hold those handles this week. I mean, there's so much we need to do by way of being people who are faithful to you. We need to, per- we need to persevere. 
we need to cut cross grain to everything in our society. And we can do that because we are walking with you. I mean, it's not that we're walking with you. No, we're walking with you. That means you give us the power to walk by your side. You, you give us the light. You give us, it is a light. Your word is a light on our path. And all we have to do is follow it. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It may be very hard, but we can persevere with what you give us in your word, with what Jesus means to us, and with what the Holy Spirit brings to our life. So Lord, help us do that this week to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.